Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys made your way through the blizzard of 2017. (laughs) Thank you for coming to church today. We appreciate that. Hey, um, we started a new series last week, and uh, it's called, of course, Devoted Followers, if you you just saw there. And last week, don't put it on the screen yet, uh, last week I asked you to learn, to memorize, to remember uh, this little purpose statement, why we exist. Can anybody tell me, you, it was already on the screen if you paid attention, can you tell me why we exist? What's our mission? Excellent, excellent. You can put it on the screen now. Here's our goal, here's our mission. We exist to help people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, the question is, practically speaking, what does that look like? How do you become a devoted follower? Jesus. Uh, We believe there are four things that will help you in that endeavor. There are four things that will help move you in that direction. We believe that every devoted follower of Jesus ought to gather and connect and to serve and to go. So last week we began looking at that process and we talked about the fact that for a lot of folks there seems to be this growing gap between church membership and church attendance. That that gap just seems to keep growing. So we talked last week about why do we gather. And what we've done is that we've taken my message from last week and summarized it and put it on these cards. Because we want this to be a, a message in a series not just that you hear one time but something you can refer back to. And so there are cards out on the table if you want to get one as you're leaving, these summary cards of the messages. Uh, So each week we'll give you a card that summarizes last week's message during this series. So you can get that uh, as you're leaving. But why is it important that we gather? That's what we talked about last week. Today we talk about why is it important that we connect. And and I want to tell you a, a story, a true story. And some of you have heard this, especially if you've been in Discover Mount Air, you've heard this story. But I want to tell you a story that, uh, regarding Lisa and I in this regard of connecting. I grew up at Clifton View Baptist Church, Johnson City, Tennessee. And in, in our little white church, it was literally a little white church, or is still, a little white church that sits on top of a hill. Now, in that church, when I was growing up, we had normally around 35 to 45 every Sunday. That was the whole church. 35 to 45. If we had 60, that was like a high attendance day. All right, so it was a little bitty church. Now, when Lisa and I got married, we went for the very first time in our lives, went looking for a church home. We had never done that before. In fact, still to this day, there's only been one time we've ever gone looking for a church home because we were both raised in a church, and then, you know, the Lord called us to pastor a church in North Carolina and then called us to pastor this church. So there's only one time that we've ever done what some of you have done, that is go out looking for a place to call home. I never knew how hard that was. I never dreamed how difficult it was to find a church home. And one of the reasons it was difficult for us is because when we went to Fort Worth, Texas, and we decided we need to find a church home, you know what I was looking for? I was looking for that little white church on the hill. Can I tell you, ain't no hills in Texas. And besides that, ain't no little churches in Texas either. Forgive my poor English, but there, there aren't any little churches, at least none that we could see in the Fort Worth area. Every church we went to was a large church. And for about six months, we literally went to a different church every Sunday looking for a place to call home. And every time we went, it was a large church, another large church, another large church looking for a place to call home. We finally went to a church called Travis Avenue Baptist Church. They had over 3,000 in attendance. And years ago, that was a huge, huge mega church. 
we loved that church. We loved the music. We loved the message. Uh, Dr. Joel Gregory was pastor. We, we loved everything about the church, except there's one. I had this hang-up, more so than Lisa. I had this hang-up. I'm looking for that little church. This is not a little church. We finally decided to go to Sunday school, and something miraculous happened. When we went to Sunday school, we found a, our small church. We had 75 in our Sunday school class. We had, we had more in our Sunday school class than we had in our church back home. 75 seminary students in the Sunday school class. But what God taught me during that time is that that large church became a small church when we were engaged in that small group. And ladies and gentlemen, that's true f- for us as well. We have three worship services. We're, we don't have 3,000, but we got three worship services. We're spread out all over the campus. How does a large church become a small church? The large church becomes a small church, not just when we gather, but also when we connect in a small group. When we decide to, to make that deliberate effort. You see, gathering is a first step. It's a good step. It's an important step. It's the first real step to transformation in your life. Gathering is a big step. Gathering for worship every Sunday, that's an important thing. But the next step is to connect with others in this small group setting, and we call it BSF or Bible Study Fellowship. And here's why it's important. Life change happens best in the context of a small group. Don't you hear that again? Life change happens best in the context of a small group. You see, there's a relational component to spiritual growth. God designed it that way. Let me show you what I mean. Go to our text that we had last Sunday, which was Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start there. We won't stay there, but we'll start there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. And the reason I'm turning to this text is because I want you to see there is a relational component to spiritual growth. So we go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. You might want to underline that phrase. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Underline that. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the relational component in this text? The the writer of Hebrews says that we have the responsibility of spurring one another on, encouraging one another, that that is part of our responsibility, and that's that's how spiritual growth occurs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's really hard to do that in a corporate setting when you're looking at the back of people's heads and listening to somebody talk. It's really hard to spur one another on. It's really hard to encourage one another if you're sitting in rows and just looking at the back of somebody's head and listening to somebody preach. Now, again, that's an important part of of your spiritual journey is to come and gather for worship, but that's not all it should be. Andy Stanley puts it this way, and I like the way he says it. He said, life change occurs in circles, not in rows. Life change occurs in circles, not in rows. And I really like the way he said that because spiritual growth is so much more than just information transfer. It's so much more than me just standing up here telling you what you need to know. Spiritual growth is so much more than just information transfer. Let me prove it to you. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I need your participation. I would like for you to quickly, you have to do this quickly. I'd like for you to quickly name, don't do it out loud, just make your own list. I'd like for you to quickly, 
I'd like for you to quickly name five sermons that you've heard that changed your life. Now, it may be sermons I preached, Billy Graham preached, anybody preached, but name five sermons that changed your life. Quickly, try to make that list. Five sermons that changed your life. You got it? Probably you're still trying to come up with number one, right? Maybe you got one and you're trying to come up with number two. But all right, now, let me change it for you. Name five people who have changed your life. Five people who have had an impact on your life. That list grows quicker, doesn't it? That list is a lot easier to make. You see, it's easier because people shape us more than ideas do. People shape us more than even sermons do. We learn more and change more when we do life together. That's why throughout the Bible you'll see it over and over again. Serve one another, encourage one another, help one another. It's these one another's in the New Testament are saying there's a relational component to spiritual growth. You see, that's why small groups are vital to the health of our church. That's why one of our core values is this. The church must grow larger but smaller at the same time. It's, it's so important that we grow larger but also smaller at the same time. That sounds almost impossible, and yet that concept is found in Scripture. See, this is not something I thought up. This is found in Scripture, and I want to show it to you. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts, A-C-T-S, chapter 1, verse 15. This is occurring right after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. We find out that after Jesus went back to heaven, it says in verse 15, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. And then it's interesting that Luke gives us in this parenthesis a group numbering about 120. So in those early days, right after Jesus went back to heaven, they had essentially what we would call a church. And tell me, how many were in that church? 120. So about 120 people in that very first church. Did you know that in the Southern Baptist Convention today, 59% of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention today are 100 or less? Almost 6 out of 10 are 100 or less. And so this church in the first church as it started out with 120, already had more people in it than most Southern Baptist churches do today. So they had 120. But it didn't stay there. It didn't stop there. I want you to go to chapter 2 and let's see what happens. In Acts chapter 2, if you read your Bibles, if you know very much about the New Testament, you know that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. That is, at Pentecost... That Jewish festival, the Holy Spirit came to indwell in the hearts and the lives of the believers. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of the believers for the first time. Takes up permanent residence. And when the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with boldness, spoke to the crowd of people in Jerusalem that had gathered around because they had heard what was happening at Pentecost. This large crowd gathered. Peter got up and preached. And when he preached with God's anointing and preached... With, with boldness to this crowd. Look what happened in verse 41, chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
So we, we started out with, how many do start out with church? How many do we start out with? 120, and now we've added 3,000 to it. And if I did my math right, that's 3,120 roughly people in the church. I want you to understand what happened. The first Christian church was the first mega church, literally. They literally jumped from 120 one day to th- over 3,000 or 3,120 the next day. Now, I want you to try to grab hold of that. Imagine going to church, and you know everybody's name. you got 120 people there. You know everybody's name. And suddenly, in one day, there's more than 3,000 people, and everybody's walking around saying, well, I don't know everybody anymore. There's a lot of people there. I don't even know, I don't even know who they are now. 3,120 people gathering together in this large group. Now, the question is this. How do you make sure all of those people are cared for? How do you make sure all of those people's needs are being met? And, and how do you make sure that that explosive growth does not hamper the further growth of the gospel, the further spread of the gospel? Well, I want you to see what happens down in verse 46, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Here's how they handled it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, that is, in the large group. Every day they continued to meet together in the large group in the temple courts. They broke bread. Where? in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You see, the key element in this explosive time of growth was that the large church became a small church because they were meeting in their homes. They were meeting in small groups. They were connected together in small groups in their homes. So they met together in homes to study and to pray together and to care for one another and to eat together. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the way that the church continued to grow. It's, this is the way that the church continued to meet the needs of the people. This is the pattern of the New Testament church. This became their strategy. This became their strategy for reaching the world with the gospel. Let me show you this. Go to Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Day after day, in the temple courts, the large group, and from house to house, the small group, they never stopped teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's the way they did ministry. They understood that these small groups were vital to the health of the church, that these small groups were vital to the spiritual growth. They understood that they would not grow like they needed to if everybody was just in the large group listening to somebody talk. They understood that there was a relational component to spiritual growth and that we're to encourage one another and help one another. So day after day, they met in the large group, but they also met in the small group. They met in those homes where spiritual growth happens the best. Now, It's interesting to me as I studied this, and I just read through the book of Acts, it's interesting that I found out that when the Apostle Paul left the church in Jerusalem and went off on missionary journeys, guess what strategy he used? Go with me to Acts chapter 20, towards the end of the book, Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we... 
just to give you the context, Paul is heading towards Jerusalem, and on his way to Jerusalem for his final journey, he stops in Ephesus, or near Ephesus, uh, to see the, the church leaders there. It's kind of a final farewell to the Ephesian elders. And we just read this, and it says, as he's talking to these elders, he says, you know, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, large group, and from house to house, small group. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is the truth I want you to grab. The church must grow larger and smaller at the same time. It's vital that you're part of a small group, and here's why. Those who stay in the crowd tend to become spectators if they never get connected to a small group. They tend to come on Sunday morning and they listen and perhaps nod their head and they may even shake my hand and say, good message, Pastor. But they're just coming for the show. They're just coming to get the music. They're just coming for the message. They come and they're spectators. They're sitting there. But in a small group, you have more of an opportunity to encourage and help one another and grow in your relationship with Jesus. Boy, I saw this in a, in a very real way a few years ago. Um, one day I was out hunting. Those in Discovery Mount area have, hold, have heard this story. I, I tell it every time we have the class. But one, one, one evening I was out deer hunting, and, and on the way back towards the truck, I, I, a guy coming out of the woods was a guy that I knew. He was kind of hunting with us, and, and I knew him because he used to go to church here. And the key word is he used to go to church here. I can tell you where he sat. He sat right up in the balcony right over there. Sunday after Sunday, he and his wife sat right up there in the balcony. Now, at the time of this deer hunt, we're, it's just he and I coming out of the woods together, and we're walking back towards the truck, and, and I just decide I'm going to talk to him. I, I say, can I ask you a question? He said, what's that? And I said, why did you guys quit coming to Mount Airy? I, I really want to know. I want to, I want to grow. I want us to get better. So just tell me, what was it? Why did you quit coming to Mount Airy? And he stopped, and he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yes, I do. He said, well, my wife and I were talking one day. We came to Mount, Mount Airy for two years. I said, yeah, that sounds about right. He said, we recognized one day that after coming to Mount Airy for two years, we knew six people by name. Six people. And then I stopped and I looked at him. I said, now let me ask you a question. Were you in a BSF class? And he put his head down. He said, no, we never quite made it to that. And I knew him. And, and so... Here, I didn't do this, but I wanted to. I wanted to kick him. You know, just in the name of Jesus. You know, you know what? Because what I wanted to say to him was, you sat up in that balcony for two years, you were a spectator, and you never got plugged into a small group. With a smile on my face is what I wanted to say. <laughs> Here, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go through that. I don't want you to wake up one day and realize, I don't know anybody at Mount Airy. Guess where you get to know them? You get to know them in a small group. Guess where Mount Airy becomes home? It becomes home in a small group. Guess where people get to know you? They get to know you in a small group. It's hard for you to get to know people sitting in rows Sunday after Sunday and saying hi as you leave. Let me give you five reasons I think you should get connected to a small group. Five benefits of being part of BSF class. Five reasons, five needs that will be met if you, if you don't just gather, but you also get, 
become part of a small group. Number one uh, is, is interactive Bible study. Interactive Bible study. You see, in a small group setting, in a BSF class, you have a chance to go deeper in the Word of God than we do on a Sunday morning. You have a chance to ask questions. You have a chance for somebody to help you understand something. You usually, on Sunday mornings, don't raise your hand and say, Pastor Keith, i got a question. And I appreciate that. But in a Sunday school class or a BSF class, you can do that. And you say, let's deal with this verse. What does it mean? And how do we live it out? So interactive Bible study. Number two, fellowship. That should be common sense that you get to know people that you don't get to know any other way. And you hang out with them outside of the BSF class. And you become friends with people. And sometimes they become lifelong friends because you're studying God's Word together and praying together. Number three, another need that would be met is this. Survey says, care. Here's what I mean by that. Dave and I do our very best to minister to you when you're hurting in times of crisis, in times of death, in times of, uh, of uh, sickness and that kind of thing. But, but the place where that happens the best is when you're in that small group setting and the people who love you and know you personally, they're going to be heavily involved in ministering to you in your time of need. Number four, meaningful service. Some classes don't just study the Bible together. They try to live out the Word together. Now, not every class does that. I wish they did, but it's wonderful when there's a, a BSF class and they're not just studying the Word, they're trying to live the Word and they're going out and they're serving places together. And number five is accountability. Sometimes we all need somebody who'll get up in our face and say, come on, tell me what's really going on. Sometimes we need somebody that'll put their arm around us and say, I'm praying for you because it just seems like you're struggling with something. That's not going to happen in a large group setting. It's going to happen in that small group where people know you by name. And they know what you're going through. See, the best way to live out Scripture and to grow in your faith, the best way is to be involved in a small group Bible study setting. Because there is a relational component to spiritual growth. Now, we've got a video I want to show you. It's just a testimony of one of our church members, Mike Jones. One of our members, one of our deacons. Mike does an excellent job of telling you why it's important that you be part of our small group in BSF. So let's watch this, just two or three minutes. Let's watch this together. Uh, I moved down here from North Carolina 28 years ago. Didn't have a family. And uh, the, my church family became just that, my, my family. And uh, we go through life together. And, and I feel that's important uh, for us to have that, those tight relationships when we have needs or when we have victories, either one. You know, I've seen uh, sickness, I've seen births, I've seen weddings, uh, I've seen us as a family within these walls grow closer together. And uh, the uh, teaching part is just like uh, uh, icing on the cake. And, and God's always faithful to uh, equip me during that time, but it's truly just a small part of leading a BSF class. Oh, I'd say get connected at once, at once. And, and you know, my fellow teachers out there, uh, I think we have an obligation to look for those people that aren't connected and do everything we can to pull them in and go and introduce ourselves and encourage our class to, to do just that, to, to bring people in. I tell people in our class, the first time you're here, you're a visitor. 
the second time your family. So uh, we encourage them to come back and get connected and get plugged into small groups because that's, that's where you grow and that's where you feel a part uh, of, a, of, of the body of Christ is in those small groups. He said it better than I did. He explained it to you so clearly. I just want to close by looking at a couple of scriptures. Just read them to you. Acts chapter 2. Let's go back there again. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000, I want you to notice this phrase, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I want you to notice that phrase, added to their number. We see the same wording down in verse 47. Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. After 3,000 were saved on the first day, the church began to break up into small groups, and God continued to add to their number. Watch this. He continued to add to the large group, and they continued to add to the small group. God added to their number, the large group. He added to their number, and they continued to break up in these small groups. And they were able to disciple those who had been converted. And God continued to bless and to use them. The reason I know that is because when I go to chapter 16 of Acts, I hope you'll go there with me. Acts chapter 16, verse 5, I read this. It says, So the, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and grew daily in what? In numbers. God continued to add to the large group. He, they grew daily in numbers. And here's what I want you to take home with you. A church must grow larger and smaller at the same time. And when it does, it feels like home. Because people are helping you develop them, uh, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know people and they know you. So my, my plea to you is this. If you're not in a small group, if you're not in a BSF class, my plea to you is don't just be a spectator on Sunday mornings here for worship. I'm glad that you're coming, but that's just the first step. Gather is important, but it's the first step. Take another step and connect with a small group of people. And together, you can grow in your relationship with God and your understanding of God's Word so much quicker. I want you to pray with me. Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you for the truth of your word and, and the truth that the New Testament church didn't stay small, but they did gather in small groups. They understood the value of connecting with one another and encouraging one another and helping one another and spurring one another on. God, help us, help us understand that we need that too. But just sitting in rows Sunday after Sunday, it's hard to do that. So may we practice the word as we sit in circles and get to know one another, as we walk together as fully devoted followers of Jesus. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.